the beauty of what we're doing is that it actually allows a triple win for everybody. You know, there are park owners that we help as well do acquisitions of these parks. And then they'll, by us putting in new homes, we're raising the value of the community for the park owner. And simultaneously, we're also raising the value of the residents' homes because the appraisals are much higher and, and their asset is growing. And plus, the ratio of old homes to new homes is much better, which causes the, it's kind of like the neighborhood effect of if my neighbor remodels their home and it sells for more without me doing anything, my home is worth more in a little bit of way, right? So it really becomes a win-win to the park owner community. It becomes a win for the residents that are doing this and also the residents that aren't doing this. Hello, hello, the Real Estate Law Podcast here with another episode, Jason Muth and attorney broker Rory Gill. Rory, we're talking about a topic that's on everyone's mind these days, affordable housing. I don't think it's ever going to go away. It's only going to get worse. Uh, the way mortgage rates are right now and the cohort of people looking to buy housing, it just keeps getting more complicated. There's more articles. I read an article today in the Boston Globe about you know Gen X and millennials having a hard time getting those first houses. But we have a guest today talk, talking about a topic that we actually haven't covered too much on this podcast, and it's a really interesting way to address affordable housing communities that would allow this. Really excited to start tackling the issue on of affordable housing here on the podcast. We often think of it as a local problem, but it's something that's really impacting just about every market in our country. And you know, sometimes we get so caught up in what's good for investors um, in purchasing and sale, uh, selling properties, but. We really need to focus our attention more on affordable housing. So whatever ideas are out there that work in different markets to help move it along. Yeah. And we'd like to welcome a mobile home expert uh, that we found. And I think that you're really going to enjoy hearing from Franco Perez because Franco brings a different perspective on what you might think of as mobile homes and, and mobile home housing and why it actually could be something good for the generations of people that are really looking to break into uh, the housing market, whether it's just to rent or to own and to own that first place and to own something actually pretty nice. Because, man, Franco, you got some kicking mobile homes on your website and the videos that I've seen. So so welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm really excited to be here. So talk about how you got into the space with mobile homes. I mean, your website is branded as Franco Mobile Homes. So it's it's a niche that I think you're covering pretty well. Yeah. I guess how I got into it is, you know, I've, I kind of grew up from a very middle-class family, uh, immigrant parents, they divorced in kind of an unfortunate situations where, where my dad was the main breadwinner, or my dad was the main breadwinner and he, he fled the country after the, the divorce and I was left with my single mom and my younger sister at about 17, 18 years old. But having experienced that, I remember how hard it was to try to just keep up with payments at the end of every month, just paying rent and going through that pain of like struggling and thinking in my life, like, why is it that we have to live like this? I feel like we're great people. Why is it that the wealthy get to benefit from home ownership while we have to play in the rat race of rent and can't afford ownership at all, right? So long story short, I, I got into real estate, became an agent for a while. Did pretty well at that. And then I 
I, for some reason, ended up hating being a real estate agent because what they would teach me is to help the wealthiest people I could help get the most expensive homes that they could or their third or fourth investment property and that sort of thing. But I had to turn away the people that were in my shoes back then, I, the people that I had to say, hey, unfortunately, you don't make enough. Unfortunately, you don't have enough as a down payment, but you can come back to us later down the line. And that hurt me so much to have to say that because I know the pain that they were going through. I know that they just want opportunity. They just want to better have better financial security. So I left being an agent. I dedicated my life to try to find out how to fix affordable housing, saw some government stuff. I didn't really love that either. Um, and then I accidentally came across mobile homes and come to find out what we think of mobile home parks is like trailer trash, bad quality homes, bad quality communities. But I came to find out that there's a lot of families that are starting their wealth building journey in these mobile home parks. And it's a perfect place of opportunity that's always been around, but we just never optimized it, the, the land and optimized the homes. So we built a business around converting a lot of these old trailer trash style homes and turning them into beautiful 2000 square foot, three bedroom, two bath homes. And as we, we push the limit and make it as contemporary as could be 12 foot high ceilings, quartz countertops, stainless steel appliances, and, and a great place for people to start their homeowner journey in a lot of these metro areas through mobile homes. Mm -hmm. So that's where we're at today. Are you renovating existing homes or are you, are you getting mobile homes brand new off the factory lot and then you're customizing those? Like what what, what types of homes are you working with? Yeah, so most of our homes were actually, we don't really do a renovation in itself. We actually will take the whole old home, remove it completely, um, and then rebuild a whole new structure. And, and you talked a lot about kind of the affordable housing issue too, right? And a huge part of why we're having an affordable housing issue is because the cost of building homes is very expensive nowadays. Labor's expensive. The logistics of getting these permits are very expensive. Um, materials getting more expensive. So the cost of building housing is getting harder and harder. And like you said, it's, it's, it's something that's unfortunately, the reality is it's getting worse and worse. The skilled labor that are building housing they're more, they're 45 years old and older and they're at an age that they're going to retire. And we don't have enough young generations that want to get working with a hammer. And, and the, the way that, um, there's this big analogy I want to bring up because if you think about it, cars were originally built for the rich and wealthy. And it was only until we started building these, these cars in a factory on an assembly line that we were able to make this accessible and affordable for everybody, right? And that's exactly what we're doing with homes now. With these mobile homes, we are building them out of this factory on an assembly line in a streamlined fashion, keeping the effect, the effectiveness of the material, the efficiency of the labor. And at the end result of the production line, we have a much more affordable and quality home that will go into these parks and communities, right? And and it's such a beautiful thing that's a necessity for us to be able to drastically cut the cost of housing and cut and cut the cost of how we build homes and 
that's what we're doing. We're replacing a lot of these old homes with a brand new home off an assembly line and having a completed product for people in, in many metro areas. It's, I mean, you caught my attention when you said 2,000 square feet because that already completely um, changed my perspective of what you meant by mobile homes. But can we put some numbers behind this here? Um, you know, how much cheaper is it to create new um, mobile home housing versus um, stick build housing? Yeah. So I actually started out in the Silicon Valley. So these costs are very drastic based on the areas that we're at, but I'm, uh, I'm most familiar with this, uh, within San Jose, like, and I'm going to express some numbers and costs, but I know that in our area, it's more expensive than most of the country, but the ratios are kind of the same. And it's important that people understand that, you know, it's more of a stepping stone process. So, but anyways, in our area, for example, Renting a two-bedroom apartment could be about $3,400 a month. Purchasing a single-family home, a median single-family home, is about $1.5 million, which I know is very high. But how does someone ever dream of owning their first home, their first family's home when the rent is that high? And and how do you how do you ever dream of coming up with, let's say 10% down is $150,000 and an $8,000 mortgage and interest and housing payment it's very it's a very difficult feat for people now in our area the the new homes that we're building is about three hundred ninety thousand dollars and with that it's inside of a mobile home park in the same area of in the same silicon valley area but it's a what i love about mobile homes it's like a blend of both it's it's like a hybrid of a little bit of rent and you also have a lot of the ownership benefits as well because the benefits of home ownership is you get appreciation you get tax benefits you also get to leverage a loan to build out your net worth and these are things that are not normally accessible for working class people that don't have families that already own real estate but now we get a lot of that benefit at a much more entry level cost that's a about a quarter of what a single family home would cost. 10% of that 390 would be about $39,000. And then their their space rent on the land would be about $1,000. And then their mortgage uh, would be about $2,800. So their total housing payment would be about $3,800, right? Which is just a little bit more than what they would be paying for full rent anyways but it's not a huge leap. And this allows for it to be a stepping stone for people to get out of that rental rat race into a step above that allows for them to have a better personal cash flow and they get those benefits, the tax benefits, the equity, the appreciation. And living there for five years, they have something that they can sell later down the line. Mm -hmm. Help dispel some myths in the mobile home world. So you've described, you know, getting into a mobile home for a fraction of the price of a single family house. It, is it reasonable to expect that mobile home to appreciate over those five years? I mean, probably not at the same rate that I'd imagine other real estate would, but are we dealing with a depreciating asset or are we dealing with something that actually will appreciate in value? Yeah. So that's a real, that's one of the very big myths is that the, the that mobile homes are like cars that will always depreciate in value. Now, I want to express that 
the nature of any investment depends on its area, depends on the market that it's in, right? So usually with our product and where it makes sense is it in these high population, high dense areas. So Austin, Atlanta, many markets of California. Um, we also are doing stuff in Denver as well, right? So in these areas of high population where the cost of living in the price of the first of the median purchase price is a big gap. That's where we're seeing a lot of these mobile homes appreciate by the, by a large amount. So in the last 10 years, the average mobile home has appreciated in our area by about 11% total in the last two years, right? So you, you do have that level of appreciation. And usually in high density markets, the ratio percentage wise is, will match the single family home appreciation as well. And for our area, for example, there's a lot of competition when it comes to housing. Purchasing housing is very difficult to attain, and that being accessible is very important. Mm -hmm. Another myth is kind of like, how do I say this? You know, I think one thing about mobile homes is our association around mobile homes is only really seen through the media, through movies, through Breaking Bad, and the media really makes mobile home look that way. But if we think about it, there's apartment complexes where we don't want our kids running around and very unsafe, but there's also luxury style apartments where it's like a resort, right? And it's the same thing with mobile home parks. There are, yes, a few trailer trash unsafe communities, but there are there's that full spectrum where there's resort-like communities with tons of green areas, with tennis courts, saunas, spas, and that sort of thing within the community. And we shouldn't write off all mobile home parks as that bad stigma and understand that there's tons of great communities as well. Yeah. My question that kind of works with that stigma and everything you're working in, you know, a very expensive market providing kind of a, a stepping stone for people to get into the housing market. But it's kind of an area that's notorious for NIMBYism. And I kind of want to ask, maybe it's a tee-up question, but the local governments that you you work with, are they your partners or are they your adversaries when you try to get this done? That's a great question. And it is a sensitive topic and a lot of, I do a lot of uh, uh, lobbying and working with governments and helping kind of have these conversations with these municipalities and that sort of thing. So I was like in Washington, D.C. last month talking to senators and that sort of thing. And and the truth of it is, even real estate agents, real estate investors, they have misunderstandings about what mobile home communities are. Now, talking to senators and governors and that sort of thing, it's very important that we help them understand the importance and the value of this, right? Because we need affordable housing and we and there's a lot of affordable housing that really pass that isn't as valuable as we think it is. Right. You know, I think with, you know, when I do talk to these government municipalities, we let them know the true success stories of how mobile homes are doing well for their community, because some people believe that, hey, these parks are causing criminals to live in our area. These are bad people that are in our area and they want to shut these parks down. But the truth of it is, it's not always the case. And with this, we're, sh we're sharing stories of, hey, this is a teacher that was never going to be able to stay in this area. 
All teachers in our area are getting moved out. They're being forced to move two hours away because they can't keep up with survival here. And now we have this program where we help teachers own mobile homes, and now they have that level of financial security. And we share how this is creating this the start of many wealth building journeys for many middle class families. And that's the conversation that we're starting to to have with a lot of this these government entities. And you know, with any government topic, it's it takes really a lot of education around it. And that's why we push a lot of these stories on our YouTube channel. We push a lot of community tours on our YouTube channel. And we also push to showcase the quality of how we're building housing and that sort of thing. But but it's it's really been a an ugly, unattractive topic for several years. However, now, only in the last few years are we starting to see government entities want to open mobile home parks because they've realized that it's a great success story for many areas in allowing that entry level thing for for many middle class families. Like in many of these growing cities that don't have housing for affordable housing. You know, communities should be looking more at denser housing such as this. Not everyone needs an expansive multi-acre, you know, plot of land to live on where you can't see your neighbors on either side to have a great quality of life. Rory and I live in a neighborhood that was intentionally built with the homes near each other so the kids could play and we could have a big community right here. And, you know, there's 30 kids in the neighborhood and they're in and out of each other's houses. You know, I'd imagine that some good mobile home parks probably have a similar vibe if the same type of families are being attracted into these higher level mobile homes. I'm not I'm not sure how to how to phrase that. I mean the ones that are on your website are gorgeous. You wouldn't even never even know that it was a mobile home. Um, you know, with mm-hmm. the level of finishings that you're putting in there. Are you seeing um a lot of these popping up like as infill mobile homes in lot in big mobile home parks, or are you seeing new parks being built or fully converted into this new style of mobile home? Yeah. So the first part of what you said, it really is a beautiful lifestyle uh, in these communities and you see the the joy in the families. And, and one thing I want to bring up too, is that every resident that's owning one of these homes are, is an owner of their home, right? So they have to be a primary that has to be their primary residence, which means that they, they're they not competing with somebody that's going to be renting this out and that sort of thing. And that alone builds, allows a sense of community. And like you said, their kids meet other neighbors and they, they actually are incentivized to keep their community great. And they're also incentivized to like have, and, and you'll see the beauty of it. They'll have, they'll have Thanksgiving events, Christmas events to gather their kids and, and also if the other alternative is apartment housing, you don't have to worry about your neighbors, people living above above you and below you. And and I have a lot of complaints of people having trouble raising kids in an apartment complex where they'd rather have them live in these um, in these communities and have a place to play and that sort of thing. And and the second part of um, your question was the opening of parks and that sort of thing. And yes. So we do a lot of consulting work for park entities and government entities. And, and I'll put an example here. There's a, there's Tesla built this huge gigafactory east of Reno in this market that doesn't have housing. There's just a ton of jobs that spiked up, that sort of thing. 
and it became that the best use and the best way for them to build housing is through our factories, through mobile home building and that sort of thing. So now there's two entities we're working with to open a park there and then build a ton of homes at a fast scale, right? And that's a perfect use case. And then I have another good friend that's building a community in, in Montana as well, where housing prices are very, very difficult and, and they're raising at a fast rate. And we are starting to see that become a trend because like you discussed, affordable housing, for some weird reason, it's, we, we all know it's a big, big problem, but it's not as expressed as a huge problem in the news. It, people don't realize how difficult it is now. And if we don't change the way we see housing now, unfortunately, this wealth gap of separation is getting worse and worse. You know, the, the true freedom, the real freedom now, I feel, is financial freedom. And home ownership and real estate is a big, big part of that. But unfortunately, real estate is getting more and more unattainable by the middle class and low-income families every single year. And we have to change the way that happens. And, and part of it's building affordable housing at a fast rate. When I say fast as well, is I've done real estate, single family development. I've seen it take average like 16, 18 months. And doing a replacement of these homes, of these mobile homes, used to take what well, used to take me eight, ten months. We just broke our record and just completed a full conversion of an old mobile home to a new one in less than two and a half months. And it's insane how fast we can do this now. Mm -hmm. And you know, and the efficiency and the cost is so much better than it used to be, or than what a regular traditional. Most of these homeowners take title to to these homes. They're subject to an ongoing limitation of how much money they can resell it for or restrictions in, in use. Or once they purchase these, are they able to resell them in, on the open market at full rate? Yeah. So basically, you're talking about the homeowner themselves, right? Yeah. You know, we see in, in our market, there's a lot of the affordable housing is kind of artificial in the sense that you build a project, you designate a couple of units as affordable. And what makes them affordable is a deed restriction that follows that house forever and ever. Is that the model that you're working with here? Or is this a more free market way for people to find affordable housing? It's more of the second. So it's it's really much like a natural economic model that works for those parties, right? One of the, the only kind of restriction is making sure that the, and it's a great restriction, if you ask me, is that this is their primary residence, right? And so that means that one homeowner that's a family can sell this on the open market, the best value that they can, but the purchaser has to also have this as their primary residence as well, right? So that being said, it's a transfer of that home to another family that might need it. And that family that sells now has an asset and equity that they can maybe upgrade their life to purchasing a townhouse, purchasing a single family home where before they weren't able to afford it. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on mobile home parks are a hot commodity in the real estate investing world? You know, people want to get their hands on them. You know, there's offers out there for finders fees. You know, if you find one for sale that you can close on. Um, is that good for the industry or is that bad? Or or what are your thoughts on, you know, the investor community zeroing in on mobile home parks? You know, like any asset class in real estate, there's good entities doing it for 
doing it in a great way and then there's ones doing it in a bad way right and that's part of our lobbying actually is making sure that there's a lot of fair rights done in these communities so that are that really help society but the truth of it is is the beauty of what we're doing is that it actually allows a triple win for everybody it's we help uh come you know there are park owners that we that we help as well do acquisitions of these parks and then they'll by us putting in new homes we're raising the value of the community for the park owner and simultaneously we're also raising the value of the residents homes because the appraisals are much higher and and their asset is growing and plus the ratio of old homes to new homes is much better which causes the it's kind of like the neighborhood effect of hey if my neighbor homes if my neighbor remodels their home and it sells for more without me doing anything, my home is worth more in a little bit of way, right? So it really becomes a win-win to the park owner community. It becomes a win for the residents that are doing this and also the residents that aren't doing this, right? So that's the way I see that. However, there are, you know, there are some entities that do this in a weird way of just in many wrong ways, but What's happening is there's a lot of government protection around this, so which is really becoming a good thing. Before we start to get toward our final questions, Rory, I wanted to ask you about uh, any legal issues people should be considering if they are thinking about um, purchasing a mobile home or entering into this asset class, probably more from the, um, the purchaser. What should someone consider? Because you're buying the house, but you're not buying the land correct? Yeah. I mean, a lot of this advice is going to be similar to people looking at condominium communities or something like that, where you have obligations to an association. So when you're buying into a community, you want to take a close look at the rules, the regulations, the restrictions, um, the amenities, the costs of the community, because you are not only buying that home, you're buying a share in that kind of collective enterprise um, of it. And when it comes to you know, buying a, a mobile home where you may pay a land lease uh, on top of it, it may constrain some of the uh, financing that's available to you, but there are lenders that work with this um, and can help you out. So it may take a little bit of time, it may take a little bit of extra homework, but it's going to be very similar to buying into a condo association. Yeah. Franco, why don't we get to our final couple of questions we ask of all of our guests just to wrap the interview up and learn a little bit more about you. And then we will we'll find out where people can get a hold of you, learn more about you and watch all your great videos. Franco.tv, is that right? Is that what you're calling it? Your, are you branded as Franco TV? Yeah. 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 That's your YouTube channel. All right. First question we have, if you can get on stage for half an hour and talk about any subject in the world with zero preparation for 30 minutes, what would that be? I'd say would really be my experience of financial literacy and kind of my thoughts of what I thought I could, what I thought was important and how that shifted and changed and what I wish I knew as, as I was younger. I think that is a very important thing in learning a lot of this financial literacy that I wish I learned in school, but unfortunately it wasn't always taught there. You, uh, as a, Follow up to that. Do you find that a lot of your clients that you work with who are purchasing homes, maybe you're also talking to them about financial literacy? Absolutely. I think that's one of the, you know, our YouTube channel does it. That's one of the things I'm very much passionate about. And our YouTube channel covers a lot of these things that I wish I knew. And it, there's, there's not only a, I talk about this too. There's not, there's really not only a wealth gap, but there's also an information and knowledge gap, right? There's, 
there's kind of this weird thing of like when I was middle class, low income, what we think is known in common sense isn't actually the the same with a lot of these now that you know I work with wealthy families and that sort of thing too. But you'll but now it's my goal to re really help them understand like, hey, why do these people think of assets, net worth, and it's not money in the bank, and how do we bring that information to everybody accessible on YouTube and and a lot of the stuff that I wish I knew. Yeah. The information that's out there, you have to just make sure it's from a trusted source, but there's so much great info out there that we don't learn in school. And it's people like yourself who are doing the educating. And, you know, we've certainly gotten a lot of an education over the past, I'd say five, 10 years in our world, in the real estate investing world that we never would have gotten from school. So, you know, it's, it's, it's great that you're doing this. And I think that, you know, peers of yours are probably going to learn a lot more from you than their teachers if they're going to talk about financial literacy. Second yeah. question. Tell us something that happened early in your life or career that impacts the way that you're working today. I think it's that that I mentioned. I think, you know, what's weird enough is that this phase that was the hardest point of my life, like literal depression and not knowing what to do and, and just even borrowing money from friends and family just so that I could pay that rent. They, they were the hardest three like years of my life. But come to find out if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't be as motivated as I am to want to just help somebody that are in those shoes today. Because right now, as we think of it, there's a family out there that is having that same amount of pain and stress and fear of not being able to afford that next month rent. And that is why I wake up every morning to try to find ways to create opportunities for families like that that was in my shoes, right? And without that going through that pain, I wouldn't be as driven as I am now. Could be a family listening to this or watching this right now. Yeah, absolutely. Final question we have, tell us something you're listening to or watching or reading these days. Anything in the world? You know, I'm, I read a lot of books and uh, I didn't go through formal college or anything like that. And all of the info I get is really off of books, through YouTube channels, podcasts, that sort of thing. So lately as we're growing you know there's a, a different phases of our business and now i'm learning a lot of operational books so e-myth and traction is one that i'm i'm very much on now and for us to be able to grow and scale it operate i've never been one that loved rules or anything like that but now i see the value of it if we actually want to scale and help help more people so those are two books into right now which role are you in traction are you the visionary or are you the integrator? I'm more of the visionary and, and the integration part is is Christina on my team that that does a lot of that role. So shout out to Christina. One that gets it done. Yes, she's <laughs> she's a yeah. It's so fascinating because a lot of what my brain like we have like you mentioned, there's really two elements of the business and one is bad at the other and the other's uh very strong at what were we get right so yeah it's a fascinating book and and i love it it's so simple and it is so fascinating and it makes so much sense also and you know people that are starting businesses they gravitate to themselves first before they gravitate to their opposite you know it's like you need to gravitate to that person that compliments you instead of that person that you know sees everything through your eyes because then now you have two sets of people seeing the same stuff instead of two different people seeing very different things so you know Great, you're tuning in on to your business operations. 
Franco, we'll link to your YouTube channel and all your social media in the show notes. Where are some great ways for people to get a hold of you? Yeah, our YouTube channel, if you Google us on Franco Mobile Homes, or all of our links are on that www.franco.tv you mentioned. There you can see three tours of our projects, of our factories, that sort of thing. And, and I know we're speaking on a podcast, but I urge people to see it visually because we can talk about it all we can, all we want. But until you really see the quality of these homes, we really push the limit to how beautiful it can be. And we we pride ourselves in being even nicer than a lot of new constructions that are being built now. So but yeah, I think those are the main websites and yeah, see for it yourselves. Yeah, some of them are stunning. And hey, the good news is that we, I think we have more viewers on YouTube than podcast downloads. We have a lot of downloads, but we have a lot of views too. So click, open up another browser tab if you're watching this on YouTube and uh, and go right over and start watching You know some of the videos that Franco's posting of the amenities that he has inside some of these houses and you will be astounded. Rory, where can people get a hold of you? Um, if you just go to rorygill.com, you can see all my social media and all the different projects I'm working on and the different ways you can get in touch with me. No walkthroughs of your factory because you don't have one. <laughs> I don't have a factory, no. <laughs> if you want to get a hold of me, you want to be in the podcast or have questions for us or Franco, Jason at nexthometitletown.com will come right to me. Franco, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and um, you know, you're doing great work. Uh, you're very well spoken in this area. Uh, one of the you know top experts we could have found in mobile homes. And I'm really glad we found our way to you. I'm glad to be here and I love what you guys are doing, sharing knowledge and that sort of thing too. So thanks for the opportunity to be here. Yeah, my, our pleasure. We all win when we all learn together. So thank you so much. Thank you and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, uh, we love it if you can give us a five-star rating or comments. We read them all and we respond to them. Um, and again, any questions, reach out to me or reach out to anyone that you've heard in this podcast. Till next time, we'll see you next time. Bye.